Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Locked on Bucks. It's Frank Madden coming to you on a Friday afternoon, evening, late. Uh, we had intended to get part two of our conversation with Steve Von Horn and Jeremy Schmidt out to you earlier today or last night. Um, some technical problems we ran into. Couldn't do it, but we're going to get to you now uh, and give you something to uh, to listen to while you, you know, rake leaves or mow your lawn or do whatever chores you have to do this weekend. So um, this part, I, I actually, um, I really enjoyed, I think, parts two and three. We have a third part as well uh, of the conversation with Jeremy and Steve. And uh, again, I think most people probably at this point know who Jeremy and Steve are. Um, Steve, of course, was uh, one of my co-editors at Brew Hoop, the original co-host of the Brew Hoop podcast with me. Uh, Jeremy, of course, the founder spiritual leader, uh, shaman of boxcabal.com. Um, they've both, I don't know, retired, I guess, from the blogging game, uh, but uh, came back to talk to Eric and I, who we've all known each other a very long time and um, have become good friends uh, through this weird thing called uh, the Bucks blogosphere. And I think today's conversation, um, I, I really enjoyed in particular. We talked a bit about analytics versus eye test um, talked a bit about covering the team when it's good versus bad. Uh, I don't know, maybe a little inside baseball, but um, Jeremy and Steve are uh, just two guys that, that I've always loved talking basketball with. And I think they're obviously still people that um, it's great to kind of get their take on on where things are now, how they view the game now. And uh, again, stay tuned for, for part two of the conversation today. And then uh, we'll have part three out as well, probably on Monday. And uh, we'll see. We may also get a podcast, uh, so maybe some quick reaction out um, about the Bucks game. They are taking on the Bulls tonight. Giannis returning. Yay. Um, hopefully, uh, by the time you hear this, the Bucks will have won and Giannis will be healthy and good and nothing bad will have happened. Um, but in the meantime... Here's Steve, Jeremy, Eric, and me talking about all things Bucks. So previously we were talking about the uh, sort of the way that we consume basketball, the actual like watching of the product, whether it's, you know, in person in Eric's case or sort of for the rest of us remotely uh, with like the, the Twitter balance and the rest of that stuff. But one of the other themes I think is interesting because – um, you know, I'm not as close to it anymore, but uh, Frank and Eric, you guys have to be sort of up on it for how you analyze players and uh, how you guys even discuss the game is like there was a there was a discussion on Twitter about it was sort of an informal poll question or something about like, how do you actually watch basketball? How do you evaluate the players on the court? And it was framed in the way of like, a, you know, on a one to 10 scale, one being just a pure eye test and 10 being the, uh, you know, full on like um, advanced statistic you know, model sort of approach to basketball where you, everything's reduced to a number. Um, and one of our old buddies, uh, Evan Zamir, who uh, he of now NBA Wowie, uh, which is an excellent site, but also of he made his own sort of plus minus metric at one point that lured me in, you know, I don't know, five, seven years ago, something like that, where he was sort of breaking down these these things with his own metric called EZPM, which was Evan Zamir plus minus. Um but he had an interesting answer to it, and it may have been part joke, it may have been part serious, but he said, I'm sort of like a 10 going on one, meaning that he he's so deep into the stats that he sort of internalized some of those thoughts, and now you know he can see it on the floor right from the beginning. So I'm kind of curious about you guys, how you take in a game, or whether you're able to sort of see from the action and be like, I know who's playing well at this moment, or I know who's making the most difference on maybe some of those opposing teams. Uh, without sort of referencing those models or whether it's still referencing the models and then trying to figure out, you know, how it's expressed on the floor and sort of what matters from there. Because, um, again, I, I may be sort of leaning toward Evan where I don't think that I reference those stats as much. I think I have a decent uh, grapple on sort of what valuable players do on the floor and how they do them. Um, but I wouldn't say that I'm perfect with that. And there are plenty of times where I still go back and I look and I say, RPM says what? 
Like what? Wait, 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 huh? So I, I'm I'm just kind of interested of how how you guys do that. How do you sort of balance the all the resources that are now online that you know there's still proprietary stuff that's behind the walls that we can't see, but sort of how you guys incorporate the different sort of uh, metrics and stats that are out there into what you see. I I got to pass on this one. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, honestly, like I. I'm so far removed. Like I, I just typed in basketball reference, for example, in my computer, and like it doesn't even auto populate. <laughs> type thing. So, so does that about, mean that, that like you just you, never look at you, stats? Well, it's, what about well, when I'm, you were writing? What about when you were yeah, writing? I, Jeremy? I mean, writing, obviously, when you were writing about every game or you know writing weekly, like clearly you were watching and you had, you know, you were aware of analytics. Like it's not like you were some. That was more you know, like while I was watching, I was trying to figure out like. Was there any themes that I was seeing? Was there anything that was coming? I remember like writing a lot about passes near the end of like I think I wrote about a playoff game once or twice this this past year, and I I remember writing about passes a lot or um, just kind of the way it was more. I had so much trouble understanding like stuff that I thought was a little bit over my head or a little more advanced, like RPM and things like that. Defensive RPM, defensive plus minus. I didn't quite understand it, so I tried to shy away from it. Because I just I, I saw I know that there's value to it. It's just I didn't want to take the time to understand it. Um, so I kind of looked at more things that I could grasp, and then I tried to look at things that I thought were happening in the game, and then trying to figure out you know where does that where is that reflected somewhere? So almost like I'm looking for stats that are going to back up what I'm seeing because there's so many stats that are out there. Something's going to back up kind of what you're seeing. It seemed like. Um, and then, you know, if I, you know, once I started digging in, then everything just kind of led into another thing. Cause maybe I wouldn't find what I was looking for, but I'd see something else. And then I would go back and watch the game a little bit more. And I would try and see, you know, where was that reflected and how, how did that matter? But it was more kind of like stylistically, how was the team playing and how was that reflected in the numbers? Did you find reliable stats? And for those of you scoring at home, uh, Jeremy attempted a pass on this question, but we're not going to credit. <laughs> we're we're not going to credit him with a pass, so that's not going to show up in the box score. Well, uh, but I, I guess did you I did you find reliable metrics? That, I guess that's that, that I you came back to most reliable was almost. I really thought the NBA.com box scores after games. You know the way that they brought in some of the advanced stuff into there was well, those were incredible box scores, and you could just look at things so deep, like. I guess looking, you know, being able to see a video of every single play and then attach that to a stat, that's that was to me what I thought was most reliable. And then there were certain things that I leaned on, um, basketball reference, like assist percentage metrics and things like that. Um, that kind of helped me figure out what kind of player I thought made more sense for certain teams. I mean, I was really into um, Kelly Olenek. <laughs> and a lot of that was because oh you're the worst. Oh my you're the worst. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I like the way you play. Frank and I officially passed on him the moment he was entered into the draft. Keep it. Like, fine. You guys are wrong. That's fine. Um, you're wrong time and time again. He's proven. You and Pat right. Riley, you're in good company, Jeremy. Pat Riley also agrees. Absolutely. No, but I, you know, looking at him, and he was like one of the big men with like the highest assist percentages. And you know, when you watch him, he could shoot the three too. And I just thought, you know, when I looked at things, it looked like teams who had guys like that, you know, uh, of course, like once you like something, you can ha- you kind of find more people like it, and then it helps support your point. That's kind of what I did there. But, you know, I would kind of pick and choose the stats that I thought were, in my eyes, most reflective. Because to me, I'm, you know, one thing that I always looked at was guys who are willing to share the ball uh, and had the ability to shoot. Those seemed to be guys that were key to successful teams, especially in the modern NBA. And since the Bucks were tied to Giannis, who wasn't necessarily the best shooter, but shares the ball very well, it seems like to me that guys like guys that fit that mold would really work well around him. So that's kind of how I decided whether or not I thought the Bucks should go get a player or shouldn't go get a player. And, you know, that wasn't the only thing I relied on, but that was one thing that influenced me. And then I would just kind of look for other things that, you know, what were the other numbers that seemed to pop up in guys who were, you know, playing well and fit those that kind of mold. I, I would say um, it depends. It varies a lot depending on how much I actually see a team or player, right? I mean, like the Bucks, who I watch every game, right? I actually trust myself to actually pick up on patterns, right? And yeah. and things that I see, and then I can sort of like what Jeremy was saying. Then you can say, hmm, it seems like this happens a lot. You know, like let me test that hypothesis because I'm not just I don't just randomly browse 
you know, arcane data, arcane synergy data or something like that, right? Usually I'm doing it because there, I have something intuitively seems like uh, I want to look at this and then I go out and look at it and either validate it or invalidate or it's just kind of like, eh, not really anything there, right? Um, and that's how I did when I was writing. That's how I did uh, did things a lot. Oftentimes, right? I would try and go find, um, you know, if there was a hypothesis about like, oh, this player does this well or does that well, or the Bucks are doing a lot more of this or a lot of that, right? Um, then then go actually figure out if that's if that's true. Um, but I mean, the the funny part to me is so I, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm. I would say I mean I'm probably more analytically bent than than the average fan for sure. Um, but do I, you know, trust blindly in analytics? No. Um, you know, again, and I don't think, you know, I think any, any person with any idea about analytics will tell you, you know, there's no like single number that you can distill a player down to. Right. I mean, it's all about portfolios of, of stats, right? Like I, I do like RPM. I like to look at it cause it's easy to look up for players. I mean, if, but especially the thing is like people who, a lot of times I feel like people who talk about eye tests are being dishonest about how much they actually see in the first place. Um, Because, like, I, like, pick a random player on the Sacramento Kings, like, you know, um, I don't know, like Garrett Temple last year. I I could not tell you from watching Kings basketball whether Garrett Temple was good last year, whether he was a journeyman, why he played a relatively large amount of minutes. I don't remember what he looked like against the Bucks. He may not even have played against the Bucks for a while. I, know. I don't remember. Um, but I do know that I looked multiple times at his numbers, and it seemed like he was better than he had been in recent years, and he'd been somewhat, you know, pleasantly surprising. And again, I'm I'm just making this up. I don't know how you know how his RPM was last year and things like that. But um, but like for those random players, like if the Bucks sign a guy who you know did who played for a team that I saw twice last year, why the hell would I trust my eyes when I don't when my brain doesn't remember seeing the guy and like really play with any type of samples, right? So I'm gonna go. I have my method. I'm gonna go to his basketball reference page. I'm gonna look at you know, sure his shooting splits. See can he shoot threes? Where you know where does he play? Like what is his shot distribution? Um, you know is his true shooting percentage good or bad? Because that tells me if he's you know, is it worth him shooting shots? Yes, no. Um, I'm going to look at his box score plus minus to see, you know, is he doing things in a box score that tend to help on offense versus defense? I'll go look up his RPM to kind of do something similar. B- BPM is also a part of RPM or effectively factored into RPM. So um, so I lean very heavily on analytics, especially when I don't watch a player, right? I mean, I can't, I can't imagine... Like if if you tell me that like you don't believe in advanced analytics and then the Bucks sign some random dude, like I'm never gonna believe that you have a better opinion than I do based on you seeing one game last year versus me going up and actually like engrossing myself in the dude's basketball <laughs> reference page, you know. Yeah. So um, so I think context matters. Um, you know, I don't doubt that a scout who has a trained eye and watches a specific player game after game after game is gonna have a very great knowledge of that player's, you know things that go beyond just a box score analytics things like that but i think it's all about you know again sort of that portfolio idea and i think analytics all sorts of analytics are part of it um watching the guys is part of it um and and to be honest i think it's interesting now because i think the twitter echo chamber also sort of plays into this like if you follow nba twitter really closely like you know the quote-unquote smart crowd you know these there's a little bit of an echo chamber effect about whether a player is good or bad or overrated um and and I think that also does affect also my opinion of players a lot. You know, guys who I don't watch necessarily. You know, do I notice that the smart people I follow tend to be critical or in praise pra- praise that player? You know, that that stuff also plays big on my mind. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, you just try to have common sense about it and and develop hypotheses because watching watching the game is what is most fun. Um, but if you can't watch it, then you know how else can you inform yourself other than to read what other people are saying and look at analytics and numbers and stats and, and see if you can kind of triangulate an, uh, some sort of sense of things that way, but realizing that you're not going to get the full picture unless you probably, you know, see the guy and know all that other stuff. Yeah. I think Frank, you and I have been well aligned and people who may have listened to all our podcasts way, way back when is sort of, uh, you know, I think that we were always readily aware of, um, you know, our limitations of what we could see and what we could sort of catalog in our own minds, 
Uh, we were willing to say that we were uncertain about a lot of things, which I think even the like smarter crowd online is still willing to express some uncertainty, not maybe in all situations. As you said, sometimes it's expressed more as absolutism. Um, but that, you know, I think both of us sort of the way Evan answered it was interesting to me because it sort of implies that you're able to sort of internalize the framework of some of these uh, statistical models, that there's sort of a process about how they, you know, catalog players and determine value, that there's sort of this stepwise process of these, you know, they evaluate on these certain things. And some of these metrics have certain holes that they just don't collect data on or they don't have the best inputs for. But sort of we were always, I think, clearing up front about that as well. And it was just kind of fun to have that journey. So it's interesting to hear the follow through of sort of, keeping with using it sort of as a framework for, you know, looking at players, especially ones you might not see as often, and then letting your eye guide you sort of when you're watching the Bucks. Um, Eric, and, I don't know and, where you and, come down this either. We'll just, I'll just say something real quick, and then Eric can, can lend his idea. But it's like, you know, like I would never look at a guy's PER in a vacuum, right? Because PER right. tends to favor volume scores. It doesn't really capture defense, right? So I look at PER, I want my players to have a good PER, um, but you know, if I look at it, sometimes I'll say, mm, you know, his true shooting percentage is low, so he's not an efficient scorer, and he doesn't really do much else. But his PER is still above average. Why is that? Well, it's because he's probably a guy who puts up a lot of shots. And then, you know, do I, you know, how do I feel about that? And okay, I'm going to go look at some other stuff like, you know, defensive BPM, RP, defensive RPM. You know, try to see like, okay, like you know, is RPM completely missing? Um, this guy's holes, you know, defensively, right? So, um, so yeah, it's just it's just kind of getting, I think, just you know, repeatedly kind of just looking at all these things and gaining context for what's good and bad and uncertain, and then being able to again kind of cross it with what you're seeing and what people who are smarter than me think about a player too. I mean, if Zach Lowe thinks a guy is garbage, then I'm probably gonna come to that conclusion too because <laughs> I trust Zach Lowe. You know? <laughs> like, so. yeah, exactly. My turn. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll start here. So the things that I'm writing, having opinions on, uh, that's the Milwaukee Bucks. So where I'll start is I test as I'm watching. Uh, obviously, I'm a guy who follows a bunch of coaches on here and goes through clinic notes and tries to pick up some stuff about X's and O's. Like that, that's the stuff. That's the basketball stuff that really excites me. So normally I will start there. If I see something, if there's a play I like, if, whatever it may be, if there's some observation I make on the floor, I start there. Then I'm going to go, kind of like Frank said, and test that hypothesis. If uh, I think Chris Middleton isn't shooting enough threes, I will go look at his shot distribu- distribution, see if that's actually the case. It is. And... Then go Tough through, shot express. <laughs> and then go through it and figure out either ways that that problem can be fixed. I'm going to go through and see ways that it's not working out, whatever it may be. And then I'm going to go through the video and, like Jeremy had mentioned before, the way NBA.com stats have done it for a while, where you could click on every single mid-range shot and have all those videos lined up. And then most of the time, since I will watch the game live and then most of the time end up rewatching a game, I can kind of think back to those certain plays or certain examples of that from certain games that I might want to find. And then if all of that is categorized in that play data, I can find it pretty easily and then put it all together. I have an article um, that starts with an observation, moves to stats, shot distribution, advanced statistics, all the things Frank talks about to help support that hypothesis, and then I go back and find more evidence that I can use to insert into a larger piece, and then you have something that I've written and something that I can publish that hopefully succinctly explains whatever it is that I originally thought I saw. And as far as using advanced stats, I'm very much of of the mind that I'm rarely going to start there. Um, I'm most of the time going to find either something more anecdotal, um, I'm going to watch a game myself, whatever it may be. And I guess where things can become interesting is a lot of times I don't try to to talk about other teams in an expert type capacity if that makes any sense like with the Milwaukee Bucks if I'm posting an advanced statistic on Twitter 
it's not because I just looked up an advanced stat and threw it up there. It's because I watched something in a Bucks game, looked for something interesting, found that stat, and posted it. So the thing that always pisses me off on Twitter is like, oh, you're just going to throw stats at me. The eye test says, what does the eye test say? Please tell me, because if you're going to tell me that you watch more Bucks basketball than I do, like you're dreaming. <laughs> like that, that's just not going to be the case. So unless our eyes see the game differently, which... I comment regularly on Twitter. It is often the case. We do see the game differently, and we are watching for different things. But to say that I'm just throwing a stat up and don't know the eye test, well, I would disagree with that assessment because I think I know it very well. So when I'm looking at other teams, most of the time what I'll do is if I find something interesting, if I'm watching a game and I'm curious about it, I'll go to whoever I think are experts on that team. If it's... If it's a jazz game, I'll go to Lockdown Jazz and listen to David Lock. Look at break that plug. Look at that professional uh, <laughs> plug right there. And from there, I'll go to whatever SB Nation site is. The, is it Salt Lake? Oh, oh my something? god! I don't oh know. Uh, but whatever it is, like I'm going to go find the people that know what they're talking about. In the same way that Frank mentioned. Zach Lowe. If Zach Lowe writes something, I'm probably going to believe it because Zach Lowe knows what the hell he's talking about. Um, so I'm always kind of well, looking for those things. Well, let me ask you, though, I mean, because that that sort of gets to the crux of this question, which is what if it's not necessarily a person who is expressing that they know something, but more of like a, you know, a, a, a modeled framework that expresses that it knows something, as in it treats every player equally and grades them all on the exact same rubric sort of of what is valuable and what isn't. So not necessarily that that someone has expressed something, but someone has built a model that does express a certain viewpoint of basketball that is sort of laid out in a very consistent and available fashion. So you aren't going to somebody, but like when you go to the RPM page, you're sort of getting, you know, Jeremiah Iglesias, whatever, Engelman's. Yeah, Engelman, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're like getting his sort of uh, process on how he has evaluated basketball or, you know, leverage computers to sort of get him to the optimal view of how to express value of basketball players and sort of that it's just always available. So, I, you know, it, I'm it, not like me, necessarily it, picking on how you answer the question, but I'm, I'm just clarifying of sort of sure. what, what, it, what it means to sort of consider something a stat versus a person. It's never an end-all, be-all. Uh, and, and I think that's a big thing with, with any advanced stat. And Again, maybe there would be some some guys that have made models that would say, yeah, my model will tell you exactly what you need, but I can't imagine there's many of those guys. Most of them would say... It's got to be just a combination. It's got to be like, here's a show and here's a tell. You know, you can't just say, like... To me, like, what's good about Zach Lowe is not, um, oh, Zach Lowe says this and I know he's smart, so this is true. It's like, Zach Lowe says it, Zach Lowe explains it, Zach Lowe shows a video clip about it, Zach Lowe talks to a scout about it. Zach Lowe gets a quote on the record from a coach about it. That seems pretty legit. Like he's just hit me with like six different reasons why this seems legit. And that's what makes it legit. And that's kind of what I always thought about was like, you can't just say something you need to show, you need to tell, you need to be thorough with your explanation through not just your words, but through image, through video, through data, through the whole thing together. Well, this, see, now, did, now, now this maybe gets to a difference of opinion because like the reason that I brought up uh, Evan Zamir to begin with is I think he's a great example of there are times where if you ask him about a player or he expresses, you know, interest in a certain player, he's certainly willing to say, like, my model says this and I say something different. Like, I know what my model does and I know what it's trying to answer and I know how it tries to answer it. But I don't actually agree with what it's saying because I can sort of take in more than it can and I can make little adjustments sort of on my own. So that sort of personalization and sort of extra information that you get as well, which is interesting because I think that the other side of this, the the granularity of, let's say, breaking down plays or something. And this is when I was writing at Brew. I tried to do this a bit. There was sort of a movement, I feel like, for maybe a three or four year period where people were trying to do, you know, discrete, like granular tactical breakdowns of like, this is what happened on this play in the middle of the game, you know, play 42 of 99 or whatever it is, where you get like one very small snapshot. And then I feel like that dissipated over time. And I don't know if it's because you know, the the wild sort of disparity in how plays actually 
wind up uh, coming to fruition in terms of like read offenses or just different ways defenses react that it wasn't like a replicable model of saying they run X play and you can see every game they're going to be running X play and this is why they score. Or if it was more of just like a, it's so hard to produce that sort of content on a regular basis. That's what it is. I think there's so much other content that gets produced that there's not a lot of, um, I, I don't know how to really say it, but there's less content like that. And there's more content that's just like, here's 300 top of the line words about why, uh, you know, player X on the Bucks summer league roster, maybe on your favorite team's D league roster for a 10 day stretch this November. And there like, is some I, of that. I, I think, I think, that I think, Steve, I think, place of other stuff. I think a lot of, you know, half of it pivoted to video and, and Jeremy pivoted to having a dog and a girlfriend and a good job. <laughs> I think the difference. Um, no, I, I think, yeah, well, and, and just to put, kind of put it for, I mean, but like some, also, but real quick, I mean, like, I, I think it just hurts. I think the people, people are influenced by different things. So like Frank, like you and me and Steve, people who are, if you will, our generation, cause you know, you're not doing the day to day writing anymore. Our generation of blogger, um, you know, when we were getting started or when we had just started, there were sites like NBA playbook. And that was like a big thing, like, you know, getting the plays and kind of diagramming them and showing them. But the next generation of bloggers, I think was influenced by, and things like that. So I think that's part of it um, from just kind of my perception. Yeah, and I think, I mean, and different you know, models have different bio. Like, like PER is pretty much more or less what John Hollinger decided the weights should be in that formula, right? Versus RPM is not something that, you know, is, I would say, as inherently biased. Now, it does have like a prior where, you know, which is like effectively something like BPM where that sort of influences it. And so obviously there was a decision made to do that, right? It's not like a pure stat that's just a regression of of lineup data. Um, I and mean, you can get that too, right? RAPM, like a pure RAPM type stat, but that has its own flaws. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I don't know. I mean, it, I mean, I, I think it, you know, I don't know, Steve, if you have any questions about sort of just like sports journalism, because I think that's such an interesting area. Um, I think a lot of us, you know, who, who started on this, even though I think a lot of us, you know, I don't like, I don't think Jeremy or I or you ever like, you know, expected to like, oh, this is going to be like our, our full-time job doing, doing this necessarily. Um, but I think a lot of us kind of like aged out of like just being able to do it every day or wanting to do it every day or, you know, just for whatever reason, that stuff just happens and you're like, all right, I can't do that anymore. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, unfortunately I think a lot of stuff is just like, you know, oh, this was tweeted. And so I'm going to write that like quick thing to be able to get that headline out and put it into Google news you know, and, and make sure it's search engine optimized. Right. And, and, and I don't know, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, I think I'm curious to see like how the athletic does just because, um, I think stuff on some level kind of has to bend back towards just people actually paying for stuff at some point rather than, yeah, yeah, rather than like ad supported stuff. I mean, our, our friend of the pod, Ben Thompson, who has started a really successful tech writing website for techery. I mean, he, he is, does very well for himself writing about technology every day and people pay money to, to read that. Um, and I put think in a plug curious. for the exponent podcast as well. Yeah. Exponent podcast too. Shout out to Ben. Um, but so I, and I know I've talked to Ben about this. I mean, he, I know he thought Zach Lowe should have done that or could have done that and been very wealthy doing that. Um, mm-hmm. I know I'm, some of you guys might follow Ben Falk who used to work for the Sixers and Blazers. He's apparently starting, um, a, a similar thing he it was it, it, like I, I got i'm on his email list and he sent something out and it looked exactly like ben thompson's email so i jokingly told ben it's like something where people named ben have to start subscription <laughs> uh, email services um so we'll see kind of how this stuff works but i don't know not to get too far far astray but um but yeah i don't know I mean, to be honest i mean my i mean i'll give you a confession like i read very little outside of twitter anymore like i'll mm-hmm. i like I, I i don't have like a bunch of sites like i'll Obviously, I still try to read Brew Hoop, um, but like I don't think that there are very few essential reads to me in the NBA anymore. Like I feel like I can, I don't know. I've like kind of just everything's just been sort of Twitterized for me, which is kind of sad. But I wonder if like is that how? Do you think that's how like younger people feel too? I feel so old. Everything I say and do is so old now. But are are there like writers that younger people are like, oh, that's a writer I got aside from the ones that are obvious. Or do they just say like, "Oh, I'll see whatever I need to see on Twitter"? I feel like that's kind of how it is. I I mean, I can tell you like, um, I, I know certain 
sports networks, uh, <laughs> their NBA, you know, their overall, I mean, Brew, I know while I was there, Brew generally kind of grew pretty steadily over time. But um, I know, I mean, I will tell you at a, an anonymous sports network, sports blog network, I mean, even with the NBA getting more and more popular, like I think their page views were flat and sometimes down um, over the last year or two. Overall. Well, and everybody's answer to and, that is just create more content, which doesn't necessarily mean right. that there's any writers that anybody specifically wants to read because a lot right. of times it's just like they're clicking on the, the content. They're just like, oh, that's more right. content. And I'm consuming content rather than like, oh, this is a writer that I can trust the way that, you know, you and I, you know, we trust that, oh, Zach Lowe wrote something that's going to be worth reading or, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are a number of people like that, but personally, I don't have as many as I used to for that either. No, and I don't, and I mean like video stuff, like I have no patience. I don't want to watch videos like, CNN or ESPN, like I recoil when I realized that I clicked on something that was a video rather than like, I'd still much rather read written text than, than watch just video. Right. (laughs) Like, um, so I'm, that's another thing I'm very curious about. Like, I just, I don't think, I think video making everything kind of video based. I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical because just the production quality has to be like really high for people to actually want to go, go watch it. And video is great if it's done well. Um, but just to like, kind of be like, Oh, me too. I'm going to just throw together random video crap. Like, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to write, write well than it is to make video. That's good. So I actually had another question. Uh, This is something I kind of was like hinting at before, but can can I, can I jump in rather than another question? Another (laughs) I don't know if it's another. I have go one. Ahead. Where did I go? Did I black out? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I, I know I've been dominating the uh, the microphone. So, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. What I'm curious about is, and this is just open to anybody, but I think it's going to be clear where I come down on this. Was it at all more fun to write about and cover the team when the team was trying to become good rather than the team being good? <laughs> By the way, context for this is, Jeremy, I think – I think we did a podcast with you like a couple years ago. I don't even remember. Maybe it was with I feel Steve like it was and last me. May because I was saw it, maybe okay. When I was it? up Skype. I saw a message from Eric from back then. Okay, and I I feel like you you had some line in there where it's like you were talking about how you everything seemed to be like going in the right direction, and you were very nervous and sort of skeptical of that. Just just inherently, um, it so, made me but, less curious almost. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Eric, we we've been we've been talking over ourselves a lot. Well, what's what's your take to that? More fun to cover the Bucks now, or when I don't know. You, charitably, Jeremy's called it when they were trying to become <laughs> trying to become good. Um, I think this is a tough question. Um, I'm trying to think exactly what the quote was, but somebody said that when covering a team, it's easier to write an autopsy than. Uh, shoot, what was it like? Uh, like a celebrate something. I, I, I can't. I, I obviously screwed it up, but I do think that is a lot easier when, when there are things going wrong. I am very good at finding problems with things and thinking about how I would have done it differently and writing something about that. Like being a know-it-all is something like being Captain Hindsight. Like you, you can just sweep in write something and it's very simple but when the when teams win and have success how do you find something interesting there because they're clearly doing things right can do you just applaud the things that are going right do you is there an interesting way to write about it and i know i've told i think i've told jeremy this before but when i'm getting ready for a post-game session with jason kidd or a player i always struggle when the team wins the game because there, there are things to be critical about, obviously, but it's more difficult to be critical when things go well, when they win the game. That that thing you're going to be critical about was an afterthought because any response to it could be, well, we won the game, so shut up. Um, and it's as simple as that. So I, I do think there is, part, I, to me, I do think there is some difficulty in covering a team that, is more successful and trying to write about them and try to have opinions on, on things when it's going right. I, to me, it's much easier when things are going wrong. I always kind of thought about it as like when things are going wrong, then I could feel like I was being authentic. And when things are going right, then I felt like I was just like lapping up whatever the team was yeah. serving me and just like regurgitating their talk points, which I never wanted to be. 
I always wanted to like speak truth to power, you know, when I first started writing about the Bucks. So that was kind of like the struggle that I always had internally. I, I would very much agree. I, I <laughs> there's always that level of com- I guess just conformity that you feel that you're having when things are going right that you're just patting you're just patting the organization on the back. Yeah, and I'll take the reverse just because I think I, I still have much more of that sort of childlike fan view of things. Like, you know, I think being, I, I think, I will say that I think, I think covering the team in the way that I did and, and, you know, still do to some extent, I think that's allowed me to have a much healthier relationship with failure and losing because I, you, you just can't, you know, when you have to write about something, you can't like be that emotional about it um so i, I kind of can like turn off the fan part when i'm having to talk like think critically about what's going wrong um but by the same token like when things are going right like i i can very easily like shut off sort of that like you know oh like well let's break this down you know and i'm just and just enjoy it kind of for what it is um so so yeah i mean like uh, absolutely like i think this is in many ways and i don't i mean i'm, I'm i hate to even say this because i feel like i'm jinxing it but I don't know. I mean, this is sort of the most probably, I feel like, I mean, with the exception of that one year, obviously, where they went to the East Finals, um, I mean, we've never seen really any real success from the Bucks in our lifetimes, basically, right? As sad as it is to say that. Uh, and so I think it feels like we're on the verge of maybe not championship type stuff, but we're on the verge of something like legitimately solid, good, you know, and we have Giannis. So I think as long as Giannis is healthy, um, I think I don't know. I'm I, I'm I'm enjoying this a lot more as a fan, just because I feel like even though I'm like older and shouldn't att- att- you know, attach myself to you know NBA athletes who are you know people in their 20s and I'm in my 30s and that's weird to like be emotionally invested in random people like that. Um, I think Giannis being kind of the person he is and being as amazing as he is at the sport that I love, um, it's it's definitely probably the most fun I've had. And I realize I've kind of maybe twisted that around a little bit from the, the original question, but um, I'm well, definitely I think enjoying you, this team. You made the conscious decision to keep yourself a little bit removed where, you know, initially when we were kind of digging in, you know, whether it was me and Alex that were back in the locker room or Eric, you know, years later, you were always kind of, you know, I don't want to get too close to the situation. Yeah. I, you know, and I think that was, in hindsight, the the best way to play it. I think that has saved your fandom in a big way. <laughs> and maybe and maybe you're just the kind of person that would have been good either way. And I think that might be the case because you're just generally seem to be more optimistic than me. But I think that that definitely kept you a little bit more sheltered just from the day-to-day interactions with the players, which really kind of can suck something out of you know, the the journalist, as it were, or the blogger, because I just remember one time waiting 10 minutes for Corey Maggette as he was, like, you know, getting ready after a game and kind of getting dressed and all that kind of stuff. It was me, Alex, and Jake McCormick, and we were like, all right, hey, man, no problem, we can wait for you. And he finished getting ready, and he turned around, and he said, not today, guys, and then he left. And it was just like, man, that is not great. And he sounds like he's actually, like, a good guy or whatever, but, like, I was just like, God, I hate so much about what just happened there. <laughs> yeah, and I, I will say that, I mean, obviously a lot of it is, is that I didn't have a choice because I wasn't living in Milwaukee, so I had no option to really be in the, in the muck with you guys. Um, but I also never, I never really had any desire. Like, I've never, like, I never have wanted to, like, go talk to play like like the idea you know like some people and i understand it right like if if you see like a player at a bar like you know a lot of fans like would want to go and like talk to the guy and see what he's like and like my view is is like nah i don't want to talk to the dude like if he's a jerk you know like andrew bogut blocking me on twitter that was weird that was weird he followed me on twitter he was my favorite buck and then like you know i don't know he made some joke or something and bogut is super sensitive and so he at some point he just blocked me on twitter like late in his tenure with the bucks it was like so weird because it's like wow this person who is my favorite player on my favorite team has consciously decided that me personally is someone he like does not want having access to his thoughts. You know, it's like really kind of funny. Um, and whatever, I'm an adult, like that's fine. I didn't, I didn't like stop rooting for him really or anything like that. Um, but it's, it's just kind of a, I don't know. It's definitely a strange, strange thing when you actually get to the point where your opinions actually, you know, like if you criticize a coach or a GM or a player, like, you know, that stuff can actually get back to them. And I, I'm always, I always respected you guys. Cause like you guys are honest, you know, Eric on this podcast, Jeremy, and you're writing, like you're honest about like who you think is good, bad, should be traded, whatever. And you, you know, you're going to, you would go into the locker room and then 
talk to those people and I don't know it's it's it was never a dynamic I was particularly interested in, which you could say is like kind of cheap. To tell you. I, I just want to say stuff and not have to, you know, live, face it or whatever. But I don't know. I, that's I guess how I can kind of reconcile being a fan and also sort of covering the team. Which you know, I, if that's not a fair way to think about it, that's fine. But clearly, me being still the innocent Bucks fan I am among this group, um, it's at least work to uh, to to maintain that part of it. Steve, I'm really curious for your thoughts on this. I think you might have. Uh, I, I'm just interested in your perspective. Yeah. So uh, I guess to answer your question, to to try to directly answer what you're saying, I think writing about a bad team for me, writing about the the I'd say maybe mediocre Bucks teams or um, you know uh, not great Bucks teams that we covered in most cases, sort of perpetual eight seed Bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that whole sort of era of of bucks, which stretches longer than anyone would like to admit or uh, you know deal with. Um, but I think for me, in a lot of those situations, um, I I didn't try to be a told you so after the fact sort of person of like wait to see. I think I used it as an opportunity, and what 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 made it interesting to me is that it sort of challenged the impulse of fandom, sort of that base impulse of fandom, sort of to have that optimism about your own players and your own team, that they were somehow exceptions to more general NBA rules or sort of more general concepts that governed who was valuable and who played well in the league or the trends that sort of drove success throughout the league. So for me, I was always trying to contextualize it in the broader sense of the league and you know take on things before they actually became... Uh, some sort of result that we could point back to, you know, being on front and saying, I'm going to tell you why Brandon Jennings will not become the next star of the Bucks, or I'm going to tell you why, you know, the, the Jennings Monte Ellis thing will not work out. Uh, or why I think Larry Sanders is going to be one of the biggest defensive players in the league sort of thing, like trying to get out in front of those things, because it was a way for me to, first of all, take on that impulse of my own, as Frank described it as sort of like the, maybe, dying inner fandom like i've killed my inner child that loved the bucks so much <laughs> um, but but you know just like working it out with other people sort of in more of a i guess i would say i was a sort of confrontational style of how i did it i was respectful but confrontational in the sense that i would say you know i think these things really matter in the league and i think these are the trends that are driving the league and i don't think the bucks are meeting them and here's examples of how their players aren't doing it and here's an example of how they aren't doing it more systemically at sort of a team level and this is why i don't think it's going to work and look at these other teams and why it is working and watch them succeed um so for me that was always an interesting sort of back and forth and interplay with not only fans but with the team itself and then the broader trend in the league so i found that really interesting to borrow a word from frank this time um and then when the team is good, I think now it creates an interesting problem for content creators. Uh, I think because number one, there's sort of that tension of knowing when to pick your spots. You know, when the Bucks are bad or they're not doing the right thing, and it's something very core to how they've constructed their team or how they're operating on sort of a tactical basis, you can say, this is what they're doing wrong. They're continuing to do it wrong. And until they fix it, this is a problem. And in each game, you can come back and say, you know, look, they did it again. This is what happened. They're giving up too many at the rim, too many corner threes, etc. You know, or they're playing this player too many or giving him too many opportunities to sort of do things that just aren't going to win games and watch it happen, and it's happening again. Whereas when you talk with, like, a successful team, it becomes difficult, I think, to pick the spots of when they've done something that maybe is detrimental to their chances. You know, if we're pretty sure that the Bucks are going to make the playoffs... Um, you know, if they lose a game in December that is sort of winnable on the schedule or at home, is this something that you call out and say, you know, this may cost them home court advantage and a team that wants to be really good can't lose a game like this? Or is that something that just sort of falls flat in the moment because, hey, the Bucks are still doing well, they're above 500, they're headed to the playoffs? Like, you know, is that going to play well or will will the moment feel right to sort of speak up about those things that may matter in the long term if you feel it in the moment? And I think at a broader level, it's sort of understanding what the expectations should be for this team or sort of how they will best succeed because explaining the success I think is tough too where as personally like as a viewer if the Bucks are winning because Giannis is really good I don't need anybody to explain that to me I'm just going to watch the game and be like <laughs> wow like 
Giannis is really good. The rest of the guys are okay, but it, he's just he's so overwhelming in terms of an NBA talent that he sort of explains himself. He's the reason that the Bucks are good. And there may be interesting things I could learn about the particulars or sort of a level of granularity of like what makes Giannis so good. But you know, he's sort of like an in-your-face talent where I think everything that he does well just like pops out onto the screen already. So I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting challenge to see how you know, maybe Jeremy and I and some of the listeners sort of engage uh, on like a daily breakdown of a team that actually is headed somewhere. And then how you guys maybe pick your spots of what actually is important to still be critical about or are there systemic things that are maybe holding them back from being as good as they can possibly be? Because I'm not sure I would be as good at that as I was at sort of saying this is an ongoing problem and watch it fail because this is why it's going to fail. Well, he, and I think the, the the thing I was going to say real quick, Eric, was just uh, the the thing as you were talking. I mean, the big question that I think it's going to be interesting to look at this year, assuming the Bucks are a pretty good team, right? Which they still have to to be that team. But you know, if they win forty eight, forty nine games, and they have the eighth best defense in basketball, um, I, I'm really curious. I mean, like, how do you judge Jason Kidd, right? Because yeah. Jason Kidd is a guy that you know people, us included, have been very critical of in certain certainly certain respects um, and the way he's handled the team in certain ways he's probably a guy who the visible parts of coaching you know he does a lot of things that are easy to question um, and that you know smart people question not not just us um, but uh, but by the same token like there's also you know just sort of the it's taken as gospel by a large portion of the fan base and you know, I think there's always this question of like, and, and obviously the part of the concern with Jason is that he's too stubborn to change, right? Um, you know, wh- how much does he have to change and improve, right, in order to kind of validate himself as a coach? And, um, you know, I think the standards are high, so I think he actually does need to, you know, the team needs to live up to that. But I think that's the biggest thing I'm, I'm curious to see because that's where I think, you know, the sliding scale of success will be the most interesting because, um, you know, as a coach, you know, there's always this debate, like how much do coaches matter, right? Like what is a good coach worth versus how much does a lesser coach harm you? And, um, you know, uh, uh, anyway. We'll, the old we'll Scott Scott Brooks conundrum. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I think your idea, Steve, of, or I guess really Steve and Jeremy are talking about content and how much content you create. And, doing those things, asking those questions, and trying to be critical, to me, it has been something I've struggled with in the last two years, because I think the biggest systemic thing that we talk about is the defense, and the defensive scheme doesn't make a lot of sense in the modern NBA, and people are are always asking, why aren't you more critical about this? Why aren't you talking about it more? And it's like... uh, I believe I was among the three people to first mention this. Like, Steve, you were still on the podcast when we talked about the fact that this Bucks defense, Maury Balls teams, where essentially... I was up in front of it, yeah, the corner three skips, yeah. Right, like, we talked about corner threes, we talked about how many shots they give up at the rim. Like, Mm -hmm. you were on that podcast, and you haven't podcasted with us for two years? Over two years. At this point? So, Mm -hmm. I wrote about that. And two years ago, I was still at Brew Hoop, and I wrote about Chris Middleton overhelping. And I broke down video and showed all the ways in which he does that. And all of, not this past year, but two years ago, I mean, every pregame it felt like, I asked Jason Kidd, what are you guys going to do about giving up so many threes? How do you try to limit this team that shoots a bunch of threes? How many threes is a good number? I've asked all those questions. So for me, at this point... And all you got were lies. Just lies. <laughs> Correct. Not lies. Correct. So, like, at this point, is I, as a content creator, I'm not interested in writing that piece anymore. Like, I've written it, and I've written it well, and I've talked about it, and I've talked about it for, I don't know how many podcasts Frank and I recorded in the last year, 200 times? I've talked about it 100 times, probably. Like, we talk about it all the time. So, for me, finding that that spot where... I talk about it enough, but also don't turn off the the daily listener, don't turn off the person reading my stuff that at every point is like, 
is this dude seriously going to bring up the defense again? Is he seriously going to talk about how many shots they give up at the rim? Is he honestly going to talk about corner threes again? And it's a, a big systemic problem, a problem that likely will handicap this team as they try to get better, but I've talked about it a bunch. <laughs> I, I feel like I've covered it thoroughly. And last year I moved on to trying to figure out exactly why they would try to do those things. Like, the, if the problems are so obvious, what could they possibly get, be getting out of it? And I wrote something about how they try to take teams deep into the shot clock, and they've succeeded over kids' entire tenure, that no team has forced opponents to use more of the shot clock than the Bucks. All three years, that they've done that. And the response was, well, you weren't critical enough of kid. You didn't talk about how it gives up all the, and it's like, well, I did talk about that. And I included links to the articles I already wrote about those things. Like I'm moving forward and evolving. And I don't know. I just really struggle with that idea of how do you continue to create interesting content while being critical and also not rewriting the thing you wrote five months ago again and again and again. I don't, I don't know. To me, it's something I really struggle with. And this is an interesting topic. It's, it actually leads me into another thing, if you guys don't mind me going into yet another topic that I will ask you about. But um, in response to you, Eric, I think uh, in the biz, they, this is a callback, I suppose. But I will go back and reference a friend of the show, Ben Thompson, because I think in the Exponent podcast and on Stratechery as well, um, you know, he's 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 somebody who has sort of been unabashed in his – a willingness to return to core themes that he thinks are very important to explain things. One of the recent ones is aggregation theory. Uh, he has a few others as well, you know, where he really, I mean, sort of the, the ways that the internet has sort of changed all of the model of essentially how everything works um, by flipping from supply to sort of demand and managing the demand. And it sort of gets to sort of our broad themes about um, how people create content and, you know, the ad driven model that exists, but more, uh, speaking more directly, it's sort of just that he he is unapologetically focused on themes that are important to him if he thinks the themes are that important. And I think that's something that you can continue to drive at and sort of package in different ways and discuss maybe the maybe through the lens of opponents that the Bucks play. And I think you guys do this already. I'm not telling you things you don't know. Um, but it's something that I thought we did well in the first run of the podcast as well, sort of when it was still existed as the Bruhu podcast with hip-hop intros, um, where... <laughs> There were like core themes that we just kept returning to because we thought were really important. And we will get to those core themes in part three. We'll keep you in suspense for another couple days. Uh, again, thanks for listening to part two. If you didn't uh, listen to part one, check out part one. And as I said, hopefully uh, we'll get part three up of our thrilling, our trilogy. Is that a thing? A trilogy uh, with Steve and Jeremy. Um, have a great weekend, guys. This is Frank for Locked On Bucks, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.